Well, I told you just a moment ago, turn to Mark 16. There's 20 verses. This is a really short chapter, which I'm kind of glad. Some of these chapters are really long, and trying to preach through them has been a little challenging for me because you just have this material. We could have turned our services into an hour and a half of preaching, but I didn't think you would stay. And, uh, but in this one, we find 20 verses. Actually, I'll I just go ahead and tell you, in, in some older manuscripts, uh, they, they, they end at verse 8. And then you're saying, well, wait a minute. And so in your Bible, there might be a footnote that talks about, well, this maybe isn't in some. But then they found other manuscripts where it has. And then basically what they say is this has been a, uh, a summarization. It's very consistent with the pattern of the gospel uh, from other gospel writers. But yet we don't necessarily uh, build a doctrine just off these verses. But they're incredibly biblical in context. And we see all these things. Anyway, I just thought I'd share that with you. But So we could have just preached through verse 8. Sometimes preachers will just preach through verse 8 and they hang it up. But yet it kind of recaps some of the other gospels. You know, when I say gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're synoptic. It means they're similar in nature. Have you ever noticed how similar the gospels are? But then they all are inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they have their personality that comes through there. So we chose uh, Mark for this series this summer, and as we're finishing up this fall. Although, it, you know, I thought this is funny. This is a summer series, and it feels just like summer out there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it does. I mean, I would, so you know what? Maybe today after I finish it, maybe snow will come. <laughs> that, that would be hilarious, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, yesterday, I was at the ball field, the soccer fields here at St. James. Our, our grandson plays over there. And I, and I was sitting there talking. I said, yeah. I said, man. I said, and it was just sweat rolling off. Of you, and it's really fun. I said, well, maybe it could snow. And then Ramsey goes, oh, Pop, that would be great. I love snow. And here's what's so great about that five-year-old. She's almost seen more snow than I have in all my years of life. The only reason I've seen snow is because I've been around the country some, and I've lived in Alabama, and every, every five or six years, God just goes, I want y'all to know what it looks like. And it snows this much sometimes, and we shut the city down. So Jeremy is here today. His, his, uh, one of his oldest uh, brother is over with him next door, and he's like serious Canadian, and they just laugh at us Alabamians. I think it's kind of funny. Well, here it is, Mark 16, resurrection. It's not Easter Sunday, but I suppose every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Right, church? Every Sunday is a resurrection. And here's what I know. We follow a risen Savior and a mighty Savior to save. And he taught a lot of incredible truths while he was on this earth. And especially in these gospels, we, we see these great teachings of Jesus. But here's what I love. He's not just a risen Savior. He's still here. He is alive. He is around. He is present now and forevermore. Is anybody encouraged about the presence of Jesus? He didn't just die. He didn't just was buried. But he rose. And then he came back and showed up amongst some number of disciples. And then he ascended that he might sit down that we'll talk about as we finish out this chapter. But let's don't get there yet. So let's just look here. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, listen to God's word. Saturday evening, when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. And, <coughs> excuse me, and very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb, and on the way there, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? 
But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And the women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Underline that in your Bible. He's risen. Look, this is where they laid his body. And now go and tell his disciples, including Peter and that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as you, he told you before he died. And the women, in verse 8, they fled from the tomb, trembling, bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. They were afraid. And, you know, it's always amazed me when you see these prophecies, you see these scriptures come to pass, and then people are like, they're in dismay, they're in disbelief. And it's like, well, Jesus already told you that, but you didn't believe him. And yet, we, we could pick on them, but let's just be honest. Jesus tells us a lot of stuff. He tells us in his word, if we read his word. And sometimes we go, yeah, I see it, I read it, but I don't really believe it. My belief needs to catch up with my reading, with my hearing. And here's what I noticed. Look here in verse 2. It says, very early on Sunday morning. There is a movement, it's called the Sabbatarian movement. Now we're, you know, and, and basically what that means is that, you know, so you have so many people that uh, in other, like in the Jewish faith and even the completed Jew and others that will say, we worship on Saturday and Saturday is the day to worship. Well, when this happened, this event called resurrection, all that kind of flipped in the New Testament. And, and we began to worship on, on Sunday. We began to worship on the day that Jesus arose from the dead. And yet there's all this debate about should we worship on Saturday? Should we worship on Sunday? And if you even look at it today, it's interesting. Some of your really big churches that have like 70 church services on Sunday morning, they've gone to Saturday night church and they're like, see, we're really biblical. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yet it is interesting in Montgomery, Alabama, call this a curse or whatever, in the southeast, Saturday night services do not do near as well as they do as other parts of the country. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know why that is? It ain't because of the football team I cheer for. But some football gets in there and they go, man, we ought to do a Sunday night service or we ought to do a Friday night service or we ought to do something. But I don't know about this, uh, this Saturday night thing. But here, here's what I'm persuaded. You see, the scripture, listen to what the scripture says. One man esteems one day of the week over all the others, and another man esteems another day above the rest. Let each one be persuaded in his own mind. And I love Sundays, and I celebrate resurrection on Sunday. But listen, listen, listen to me carefully. But I think the Lord should be worshipped Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and start it again and again and again. And the church said... And I mean, so we should worship all the time. We shouldn't just go, well, I only worship on Sunday. Now, some people live like this. Oh, pastor, I sanctify my mouth on Sunday morning when I come to church. And sometimes on the way out of here, I say bad words. Am I going to hell? Well, I don't know. Maybe. I hope not. Hope you love Jesus. Or you say, man, I live for the Lord on Sundays and Wednesdays. Hey, somebody that day says, you know, hey, I'm living right. And, and, and this guy told me today, he goes, you know what, pastor? He goes, I go to church on Sunday. I go to Bible study fellowship on Monday with my men. And I go to church on Wednesday. And I think he wanted me to like give him a sucker or something like, well, man, that's good. And, and I wish I'd have thought, well, how about Tuesday and 
Thursday and Friday and Saturday. You know, how do you live then? This guy happens to be a pretty serious believer, so I probably wouldn't have got any yardage out of that. But fill it in, first blank. He is risen. He arose. He arose. Is it, did, that, did that come in? Here. He arose. I love this. This is the, you know, it's the, the, the centerpiece of our faith. It's foundational. If Christ didn't rise, man, we're, we're to be pitied, as we'll see the scripture in a minute. But I want you to feel in this, this ministry of love, the, the love of Christ, the love of Jesus then, the love of Jesus right now, the love of Jesus to come. So it's their desire. These three women that had, had gone to the tomb because they loved Christ, and, and, and you notice you don't read about any men walking to the tomb or fleeing the tomb. They had to go tell the men because they didn't show up. And they had watched Jesus be crucified. They had watched Christ be laid in the tomb, put to rest. And, and, and it, it's just a, a tough thing. And yet they get these sweet spices that they're going to anoint the body of Christ. You know, because, you know, death brings forth stench. It, you know, I mean, it's just it, it's not good. So they, they wanted to wrap him. And they had these linen uh, strips that they had wrapped him in. And they, they had placed him in the tomb. But it's interesting. It goes on. I feel in the next point, they have a ministry of love, their desire, but also their devotion. These women rose early to go to the tomb. Now somebody's like, man, is this where all this early stuff started? I don't know about you. My wife gets up extremely early, many, many mornings of the week. Man, she rises early. So many of you women in this place go, man, I, I rise. Some of you women are like, brother, I ain't even seen, I don't even see it, and I don't even know what time you get up, okay? But many do. And he, and he goes here, hey, they rise. They arose from their beds. This, this trip, they tell us, was about two miles from their home to the tomb. And it ain't like they went out there and got in the car and, and rode over to the tomb. They had to walk. I don't know. Maybe they were skipping. Maybe they, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they were skipping that morning. I think there was a lot of disbelief, dismay in their heart. But they were, but they, they were brokenhearted over this single event of crucifixion, of death. This great Rabboni, Rabbi Jesus, had taught all these truths of the kingdom. And they believed. And yet, somehow, man, they were hurting. You see, and we blow past that because we know about resurrection, we know about ascension, but I'm thinking, man, if you're in the context of these women, this is difficult. Jesus, and he is no more. I mean, he's dead at this point. And then there's this large stone because of Pilate. They'd had to seal the governor there, and, and, and they sealed the tomb, and, and you, know, this, you know, this tomb, uh, this rock prey, probably weighed at least a thousand pounds now i don't know about you how are these women going to move a thousand pound rock you know what i'm saying i don't even know how we're going to move it I, you, you see this piano right here i don't know what it weighs but it's heavy we were in here years ago moving the piano around and we had to move it off the stage and there were like three or four of us to move the piano and the legs i never understood this about the architecture the engineering of pianos they have little bitty skinny legs for something that weighs so heavy bad design and we're standing right over here with the piano and we're holding it and one guy kind of went down uh-huh and there were three of us and we had to suck it up and i remember looking I almost called him by name and i said hey tighten up dude we can't handle it and this guy was a former football player and somehow by the mercy of god he rose up just a little bit so we could get off the stage 
I learned a valuable lesson that day. I am never going to move that piano again without a lot of men. Because, man, I thought, $9,000 piano. I remember the day we bought it when we came in this sanctuary. And all I could see was $9,000 just went crashing down there. But I was even more concerned about the guy. I thought, man, he's going to lose his life. He had a hernia repair. It's all good. He, he did fine. No, he didn't. But, but, but tomb and rocks and heaviness. And yet, you, know, you, know why? you know why God moved the stone? Some people say, so Jesus could get out. Man, Jesus didn't need his father to move the rock to get out. Jesus walked through walls sometimes. You know what I'm saying? The women needed to get in. <laughs> and he wanted them to go in and see that his body was not there. Man, I, I tell you, if, if this event doesn't happen, you see, here, here's the problem. So many people, these women were still living in Saturday. But it was now Sunday. Write that down. Are you living in Saturday or have you progressed to Sunday? Because Sunday's a day of resurrection. I love that about my Jesus. He's always about resurrection. Resurrection gives us life. Resurrection gives you and I hope. Resurrection gives us joy and we move forward. So the, the fondest hopes and dreams of these women had collapsed. And yet they get to the tomb and it's empty. Because they were thinking, there's no kingdom. Jesus is dead. It's all over. And they get to the tomb, just as he said, he is not here. He is risen. He is risen. And so we, we read through this gospel. Look there. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. There in verse 6. I just underlined it in your Bible. It's such a profound verse. But I want you to fill in about verse 3 here. Their doubts. They had doubts. They had devotion. But they had doubts. And sometimes we have doubts. Sometimes we're skeptical. I can get skeptical, and I've been walking with Christ over 40 years, but sometimes I can get a little skeptical about some matters of faith. I shouldn't. God, help my disbelief, my unbelief, drive it far. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Sometimes when I'm praying, I'll pray, God, I want some bold, courageous faith today. I had a little unbelief in a situation yesterday or last week, but God, you raised the dead you split the sea. God, you can do miraculous. God, I trust you. You better start going with God. You know what I'm saying, church? He doesn't fail. He doesn't falter. He's able. But sometimes we think, well, I, I just don't know. It's like uh, th th this angel was there. And the angel's the one that told him. And, and I believe in angels. How many of you believe in angels this morning? I believe in the ministry of angels. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm going to say this, but don't hold me to it, because when I wrote my book, Neology, and it was released in 2010, I, I, I was in the church, and some lady walked up to me one day, she goes, Pastor, I just want to prophesy over you, I want to tell you there's three books in you. I went, oh, no, there's not either, this one's about kill me. She goes, no, there, there's three, I see them in the airport stands right now, I go, well, you go ahead and write them and tell me about it, okay? And yet, there is another book that every once in a while I get this thought in the back of my mind, and it leaves. It's called angel, angelology. And because I wrote neology on prayer, I thought I'd write on angels because I love angels and I believe in angels. And sometimes we super spiritualize angels and sometimes we don't give angels enough credit. So the study of angels is, is a fascinating study, especially as you go toward Christmas, you think about the angels and it's just awesome. But then sometimes you hear these, uh, th these stories of people like the person got stuck on the side of the road 
and their, their car just died, and, and there, there was no help, there was no mercy, and an angel came and changed the tire and the rain, and they got back on their way. And sometimes I go, yeah, no, okay. I mean, I guess it could happen. Because the scripture says, sometimes you have entertained angels unaware. Even this morning, I was reading through a devotional, and it took me to that verse, and I'd been reading on it all week. I said, okay, God, I'll credit you then. How many believe sometimes you entertain angels and you don't even know it? I do. And they've been movies about it. Sometimes they're kind of cheesy. I just got to be honest with you. But the, the truth is, man, God can come in any form that he wants to. And sometimes he ministers to us through angels. And I'm, I'm grateful to, for their ministry. But here, these women, they were alarmed. They were confused. There was great fear in them as they went to the tomb. And that's a word for you and I to just think today about where there's fear, draw near to Jesus. Where there's doubt, draw near to Christ. Where there's fear and anxiety, lay that before his feet and say, Lord, also, it's interesting, in the different gospels, some say there were two angels. In this one, it says there was one angel. And somebody goes, oh, oh there it is. See, I told you the Bible will contradict itself. Well, no, I, I, don't, I don't believe it does. Basically, I, I think they're addressing, there was only one that spoke. <laughs> and this is the one that they wrote about. But, you know, some people just want to say, well, I, I just want to, I want to find a way to get out. I, I want to be worried. I want to be alarmed. And so that's what I want you to think about this morning is sometimes we just get perplexed. We get alarmed over situations. And, and that's a signal for me and you to run to Jesus. I'm saying, Jesus, I just, I'm puzzled. Like, here it is. You get a notice from your doctor. You get a diagnosis that you're very sick. You're dying. You've got cancer. You've got whatever. Something just horrific happened in your family. Man, you are scared. You are perplexed. You are alarmed. I think that's part of it. But at that point, I think that's when our faith hitches to Christ and we run to our Father in heaven and the church said, because there is going to be trouble and tribulation in this world, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world, Jesus Christ. Man, I'm grateful for Jesus. He just helps us overcome. You know, you, you, you see these words. Uh, it's a great word that I've talked about before, and I'll just say it real quick. It's to telestai. It, 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 it's, it, it's the Greek word there. It is finished. And see, sometimes when you take the Greek language, it combines a lot of our English words and only uses one word. It's a much more efficient, uh, proficient uh, language. And, and so that's why it's so hard to sometimes explain Greek or Hebrew because that language is probably richer than ours and we have all these translations and we try our best. Well, here, uh, he, he has risen. Uh, they, they had perceived, they had encountered. I, I think here's what it's saying. Hey, come, check this out. There is no dead Christ. <laughs> Matter of fact, there is no Christ here. He is gone. He is risen. He is with his Father. Does that encourage your heart this morning? When you die, you're going to be very encouraged that you believed in a risen Savior and you trusted completely in him and his riches. But I, I want to submit this. While you live, it is great to know that he is a risen Savior that has all the power of the world. Because the scripture says, we are more than conquerors through him who first loved us. Do you believe you're a conqueror this morning? I'm not convinced. Do you believe you're a conqueror this morning? That's what Jesus said. You say, no, I'm a chump. Well, you'd be a chump if you want to be. 
I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who redeemed me at the cross of Calvary. And so are you if you're in Christ. So I love this. Christ, look, look here in the middle of the verse. I, I, I put it in there, and when it sits over here by itself, I had, I had context around it, but I looked at it on the worship guide. I go, oh, I hope they don't. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men are most miserable. One says, we are to be pitied. If this is all we got, we just talk about resurrection, but it didn't happen. But it did happen. So we are to be, wow, they have received the mystery of God in Christ Jesus. What a Savior. Our, our Christ is risen. Our Christ is risen. It, it's, it's not a waste of time that we come and we gather and we worship because he is there for us. Our faith is not foolish because he is alive. Some people would say, all you Christians are liars. We would be liars if there was no resurrection, but there is a resurrection. So we are truth tellers. Amen? Jesus is the truth. So we have to go and tell. We're all lost in our sins if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. We're departed from our loved ones forever if he hasn't risen from the dead. We're to be pitied above all mankind if he hasn't risen from the dead. But Jesus is Lord, and he has risen from the dead once and for all. I can't wait to get home to heaven and see my blessed Redeemer. And to hear these words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Because of what he did for me and you. And how he gave us the blessed Holy Spirit to empower us for this journey called life. Jesus, you are magnificent. Now, as, as I go through that, and you, you see here how incredible he is and, and their esteem. They're blown away. And yet, I want to go back to this early thing. I, I thought this is good. I want you to write a side note in there. I think it's Psalm 63. It's always good to seek the Lord early in the morning. Let me, let me set it up this way. Some of you will defy my illustration, but I think it'll help. How many of you eat breakfast? Just hold your hand up. Yeah, majority of you. A couple of you are like, I'm superhuman. I don't eat breakfast. Okay, whatever. All right. You eat breakfast, and, and we learn that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I remember my mom used to tell me, and I go, give me another Twinkie. I got to go. Or a honey bun, like it had nourishment. But here, here's, here's the go. Breakfast is important, but I want you to write this out there today about seeking Christ early. Your spiritual breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And the church said, you need a spiritual breakfast. You need a breakfast of champions. It's not Wheaties. Okay, years ago, that would have been a good line, but I know as I was saying in my mind, it sounded good. And I thought, y'all don't even know what Wheaties is, you know? Remember when Jeff was here, uh, uh, there, Blake, and he, he had that box of Wheaties on his desk, you know, because it had like Tiger Woods or somebody on there. He thought it was cool. And, you know, so here's the thing. So anyway, I won't use that illustration. If we were in two services, I would just punt the breakfast of champions. Okay, all right, let's just keep going. Let's just act like I didn't say that. Okay, so seek the Lord early in the day. I know some of you are like, well, I don't get up, Pastor. I, I don't go to bed at 2 or 3 o'clock. Then go to bed. Go to bed early. Or if you don't go to bed at 2 or 3, just meet with Jesus before you go to bed, okay? You're early in the morning. Uh, in so many cases, Jesus got up early in the morning and withdrew to his father on a mountainside and on and on. And I just find out, man, if I seek him in the morning, my day goes a lot better. And sometimes I have ammunition for the temptations and the challenges and for the opportunities in front of me. I love when God sets me up for what's coming at 10 o'clock or 2 o'clock because I was in his word that morning for my soul. 
for my devotions, not for you to preach. And God gave me something that I needed. How many of you like that when God gives you something early in the morning? The ones that read their Bible say yes. The other ones are like, I don't know. Yeah, I never read the Bible. Well, this is a great case to say, I'm going to start reading the Bible. Read it every day. It's, it's a book. It's alive. All right, let's, let's go to verse 9 through 11. Got to move there. All right, Mary Magdalene saw Jesus first. He appeared. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, that is pretty awesome. She got to see Jesus before anybody else. Wow, the resurrected Christ. I mean, this woman had sinned greatly. D demons had corrupted her, seized her. And yet she gets to see Christ. Uh, man, I, I just, this, this whole thing, this, this whole testimony of her, this whole testimonial of the women that we see that went to the tomb, these women that left the tomb, there, there was just amazing. There, there's this guy by the name of Celsus, and he has the library of Celsus, wrote Origin from Alexandria, speaking about the resurrection. And he called this the gossip of women. I, I, don't, I didn't say it, he did, okay? He didn't believe it because it was a testimony first of women, so the guys didn't believe it as well. You see, here's the sad thing. Women didn't have the right clout. They didn't have the right uh, authority. People didn't respond to them as they should. And, but, man, I'm so glad things have changed. They're like, oh, my goodness, my wife is so smart. She's so wise. Let's listen to the women. But the women were the ones that were worshiping the Savior. The women are the ones that went to the tomb. How many of you are thankful for the testimony of the women then and today? Amen. You better say amen if you're sitting next to a woman. I mean, man, I'm grateful for the testimony of these women. It's just Mark reminds us that Mary had seven devils cast out of her, possessed, gripped by Satan himself, and Jesus Christ befriended her and delivered her. And, and, and the scripture says, he who has been forgiven much does what? Loves much. See, if you find somebody that's been redeemed and they had this serious, I mean, we all are serious sinners, but they just have this past that is so full of debauchery and sin and just, I won't even talk about it, and they get born again, they get redeemed, man, they just seem to be so grateful and thankful for all that God has delivered them from. That's who this woman is. She's got a testimony. I would love to go to a testimony service with Mary Magdalene. How about you? Hey, Mary Magdalene's going to be in the sanctuary next weekend at Christ Community. Now, that'd be cool if I could, you know, bring somebody back from the dead. You know, she's going to be here. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of people are like, wow. And, and what's so cool is she's not just delivered. She's the first one to see Jesus. First account. Wow. I, I, I've read that so many times. I just kind of blow through it. and I go, man, this is, this is an incredible event. A lot to be thankful for. So let's just keep going here. So we, we see that in verses 12 through 13. Will you go there with me? Let me get to the right page. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem to the country. They rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. They were two men. Another story, another gospel calls it the Emmaus Road. And they, they, were, they were on their path. They, they were walking, and he appeared. They were just having conversation. I don't know what they were talking about. Whether I do, they, they were talking about all their hopes had vanished. Have you not heard about, about this one? And so these disciples, as they come back from Emmaus, they didn't, they didn't believe it either. 
And it was Jesus. He, he was talking to them. He showed up to affirm them. To, so these, these women had, they got where they did believe. These men at this point, they don't believe, but they do come to believe. And I just wonder about where we're at on, on this table uh, because these people, after this, these followers of Jesus, so many of them were shocked and afraid, and a lot of them locked their doors and got behind locked doors because they were afraid they were going to be persecuted or crucified for following the Christ. So they didn't want to come out. I mean, they, they thought, man, here's our, as I told you over the last few weeks, Jesus, he was not their political king, their leader that so many had hoped that he would be. It was a spiritual kingdom he came to usher in, and he's fulfilling his father's way here. And man, they're all behind locked doors and they're stuck and like, oh man. But I want you to move on because then in verse 14, look at this. This is when it really gets good. Oh, I get excited about this next section. Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples and they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief. I think that was stern. I don't think Jesus is like, hey guys, I'm back. But like, man, let's have some fish. Let's have some bread and fish. I think you're like, Guys, really? I thought you thought you loved me. Thought you followed me. Thought you believed me. So, so he rebukes them because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Verse 15. And he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes is baptized and who is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. And these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe and they will cast out demons in my name and they will speak in new languages and they will be able to handle snakes with safety and drink anything poisonous and it won't hurt them. And they will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Now, as you look at this section right here, it sets up the Great Commission. And and Jesus gave us that in Matthew. Go into all the world proclaiming the gospel, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we're a Great Commission church. You just saw a Go video. It's about going to all the world, going to our city, going to our nation, going to the byways, going to the world. But go and proclaim this Christ. And it's when we give money, some of our money goes to support missionaries. It goes to send us out to carry the gospel. But I want you to fill in these blanks. I think these are good. We're to tell it with our lips. Fill it in. Our lips. We're to tell that Jesus is the way. Jesus is Lord. Jesus forgives. Jesus is Redeemer. Jesus is sustainer. Jesus is God. Back from the dead. He reigns and he rules and we act as an herald. We we communicate. We communicate orally that this Christ is alive in us. Man, that's what I've been doing for over 40 years, telling people about this Jesus that changed my life at Troy University campus as a a long-haired, crazy freshman. That he invaded my space, my heart, and transformed me. Praise be to the God who redeems. Amen? Has he redeemed you? It's not rhetorical. Has Christ redeemed you? Amen. Say it with authority. Tell somebody, well, you know, preacher, you know, I'm just not very verbal about my faith. Could I bring them to you? Well, you, you could. But you got the greater witness. You got the relationship with them. It's always interesting. Somebody says, Pastor, save them. Save them, Pastor. Save them. I mean, sometimes I go into situations like, man, you talking about a miracle. This is going to take three. I mean, I walk into some weird situations sometimes. I'm like, but, but Jesus, he loves the difficult place. He loves the hard heart. He loves to come. But he loves to use you and me too. And so he tells us to, to proclaim this good news 
Uh, and, and then the other thing I want you to fill in here, we're to tell the story with our lives. Our lives back up that which we're saying. Not perfect. We're growing, hopefully. We're developing. We're being discipled, I pray. We're becoming like Christ. We're becoming little Christ. And that life does speak a testimony. I've marveled over all the people I've known over my Christian pilgrimage that love Jesus. And I've learned from and, and their life was a living testimony. Oh, man, this morning in this room, I think of so, so many of your lives and how they speak to me about your faith in Christ. Man, thank you. And then you might say, well, he ain't talking about me. Well, maybe it could become you. As I did this service on Friday afternoon, longtime friend, acquaintance of family from years ago, and had been around the gospel, had come here at one time in his life, and I could only hope that these words of eternal truths had penetrated and changed. I'm so glad God knows the heart. But y'all, we're alive and well, and in this place, we need to testify to the world that Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. Can I get a big amen? We need to tell one another. You, you get locked up in the car with somebody, you could say, could we take a five-minute break from football? Just five minutes. I just want to tell you something really precious to my soul. Could we just take a five-minute break from HGTV? And let me tell you about how great God is. Could we just take a five-minute break from hunting? Oh, and here I'm already going on some toes. Can we just take a five-minute break from the Ryder Cup, from the golf game? And can we just talk about how great Jesus is? And the church said, I ain't coming back. That's what some of you just said. You got mad at me. Okay, don't get mad at me, okay? And, and then you read on here, it talks about this whole thing of baptism, and I, I could talk to you about that. And people have built doctrines just on this one verse about being baptized, but I think it's really, when you look at the textual and the, and the Greek, it's really... The only, we're not saved by baptism. We're saved by grace. We're saved by our belief in Christ. Amen, church? Baptism is an act of obedience. After we're saved, we follow him. So this morning, I just want to usher up. Some of you maybe need to follow Christ in baptism. You need to contact me. Man, we would love to do that. Just part of the deal. In that day, they would go out in the river, and it was a very public. Here it's public. We do it in a baptistry. But there was even more public. Like when we were baptizing people in the River Jordan, when I went to Israel in 99, man, you're talking about public. There were people riding by on buses and beeping the horns and waving. I'm like, wow, this is, I mean, you are going public. I'm like, man, somehow I think we missed that. Can y'all imagine if we had city baptisms and we went, although it's a pretty nasty river, but uh, if, if we went down to the river downtown and, man, we were just celebrating new people coming into the kingdom and, and man, our city was going public for the Savior. Could you imagine some of you are like, no, I can't. I think it'd be pretty awesome for Christ. And then he talks about picking up poisonous snakes, and that really refers to the passage over in Acts 28. And I know, I know, they're not from Alabama. Everybody makes us the butt of the joke. If they don't, they say Arkansas and maybe Georgia. But I'm going to pick on another group. This is a bunch of people from Kentucky. In Kentucky, they have some of these churches 
that they, they, they take this text, I think, out of context, and they go in. I, I remember reading one day about, uh, I think it was a, a former Harlem Globetrotter, and he, was, loved, he loved Christ, and he would share his testimony. And he went to a church in a rural Kentucky setting, and he got there, and he saw these two big baskets on the stage, and he thought, man, these people must really give. They have big baskets. He looked up there on the stage, and one, one of them started moving. And they brought the snakes out. The brother tore the walls down getting out of there. I don't have no snakes, okay? Somebody said, praise the Lord. When we were at AUM, a snake is a device that runs the sound from there to the stage. And we had a big snake at AUM. And it ran down the middle aisle. Y'all remember that? And I remember one time Wayne walked up to me and goes, Preacher, we got a snake at Christ's community. And I started looking around. I said, what? He said, we got a snake. Every Sunday morning, we roll it out. I go, oh, okay, good, good. I thought, if this brother's done gone weird on me, I'm leaving. I don't need no snakes. Although I do remember a snake coming in here one time. Oh, it's not here now. It was years ago. Okay, all right. All right, I, I shouldn't tell you that. Okay, all right, next step, next step. Here, stay, stay with it, Keith. All right, look at verse 19 to 20. Caitlin, you go ahead and you get ready because she is going to lead us in a song of worship that I've worshipped all week. And I asked her to do this song, but not for her to perform it, for us to sing it with our sister in Christ. But look there at verse 19 through 20. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand. Where is Jesus today? At the right hand of the Father, sitting down. Woo! But he's going to get up. And he's going to come again. But at this point, he's there at the right hand of the Father. But the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, finished his work. He completed his work and he sat down once and for all. The ascension made it clear that the purposes of Jesus Christ were clear and they were compelling. The ascension made it known that the Lord's plan is understandable for you and for me. The ascension made it so prevalent that the Lord's payment was complete, was done, and Christ had ascended on high. What a Christ. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. How will you and I respond to the resurrection is the question of the morning. Just, you can write that in there. How will I respond to the announcement of the resurrection? For the resurrection is for me today. Bow your heads with me. Father, I thank you for these 19 weeks of study in the Gospel of Mark. It has been rich. It's been a rich diet of your word. God, I thank you that your word and your spirit have the power to change lives even today. And Lord, you are living in among us. And that the scripture teaches that you live to forever intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Jesus, that right now you're praying for me. You're praying for my friends. You're praying for this service. You intercede on our behalf. You make intercession. Lord, come. Come and have your way in our hearts. 
Lord, help us to come home today if we've drifted and run away from you. Help us to run toward the cross. Help us to walk in the newness of Jesus Christ. For you are alive. You have risen. You have resurrected. In the name of Jesus. Amen.